Hello, and welcome to another episode of Building Educator Capacity, where we strive to improve student learning by expanding the capacity of our school districts. I'm your host, Mitchell Lilly, joined once again by my co-host, Phil Anderson. How's it going today, Phil? It's going great. Thank you for asking. Glad to have you here as always. Today, CISA2 Early Childhood Consultant Karen Russell asked Jennifer Skiba, Early Childhood Coordinator for the Verona School District, about her success implementing equitable supports and learning through their new First Five program. Jennifer goes over the success of the program through partnering with community providers in Verona and what they hope to accomplish for early childhood in the future. Jennifer Skiba has a bachelor's degree in early childhood education from UW-Stout and a master's degree in professional education from UW-La Crosse. She was a director for a preschool center before becoming a public school educator and taught in the classroom for over 15 years. Now, as the Early Learning Coordinator for the Verona Area School District, she facilitates student learning for the Verona Area first five years and pre-K programs. Hi, my name is Karen Russell, and I work at CISA 2 as an Early Childhood Program Support Teacher. My job is funded through a discretionary grant uh, through DPI. And the nature of my work is that I focus on the districts in the CISA 2 area and support their early childhood special ed initiative. One really cool part of my job is I get to be with others doing this great work. And so today I'm joined with my, by my colleague and friend, Jennifer Skiba. If you don't know Jennifer, you should. And here she is to introduce herself. So I'm Jennifer Skiba. I'm the Early Learning Coordinator in Verona Area School District. And I also facilitate Verona Area first five years. Oh, welcome, Jennifer. Just so glad to have this conversation with you today. So the reason I asked you to join me is, Jennifer, I feel you have truly created an equitable multi-level system of support in Verona for your pre-K students and their families. Could you tell us about your first five initiatives? So the Verona area first five years really came along um, after we started the pre-K program. And I had a family advisory council. I had an overarching advisory council that had community members and childcare sites on it. Uh, and as we were doing that, what we realized was many of our initiatives weren't just targeted at our four, four and five-year-olds, but they were really targeting our birth to five. And so as we started talking and really working through that, we said we're offering it, but how do families know about it? Like, how does the community know about it? And that's really how it came about, is saying, this is what we're doing, and how are we getting that out to everyone? How are we advertising that? And so we spent time with our family advisory council and our advisory council and with our pre-K sites talking about how to do that. And so we came up with a logo. We came up with our mission statement, we came up with a lot, a lot of feedback from lots of different sources about what's really needed. And so the unique thing about our community is it's Verona and Fitchburg, right? So Fitchburg is split into different districts and Verona is one of those districts, right? That has part of Fitchburg and bringing that community together is important to us. And so we were providing outreach not only in Verona, but also in Fitchburg at each one of our events. But how did our families know, right? How did they know right, that they could attend even if they didn't have a pre-K student or a child participating in that program? And so that has really, really been what we've tried to do is 
bridge that, really communicate what we offer. And our mission ended up being supporting all families every step of the way. And we really, when we talked about who we are, we really, I, I facilitate it. That's the important piece of it. I don't run it. I'm not Verona area first five years. I facilitate the conversation between all of our community partners, including, you know, the grocery store and the library and families along with our pre-K sites. And even our sites that don't participate in pre-K are part of the advisory council so that we're collaborating with them, even if they're not partners at this time. Our goal, right, is to make sure that we're not really focusing on just a certain group of families, but we're focusing on all of our young families in our community. Boy, thanks for all that information. That's really, uh, it's really cool what you guys are doing in Verona and Fitchburg in those communities. Um, Jennifer, you're really partnering true partnerships with your community providers, specifically your child care workforce. Why do you feel that having this partnership for your first five initiative is so important? So when we started pre-K in our district, which many people call 4K, so we sat down at a table. We had a huge group of community members and they're like, we're not bringing kindergarten to our four-year-olds. And so they were passionate about calling it pre-K and making sure that we were staying true to the development of our youngest learners. And so, so we're pre-K, that's who we are. But with that, we also really wanted to focus on the fact that we're community-based. And so all of our sites are community-based. They are all private sites that we work with. So I have 12 private sites, 13 different programs within those sites. And we have two other partners that may be joining us in the very near future. And what we found out is this, right? We were working with four-year-olds, but four-year-olds are not the only ones in those locations, right? And there's sometimes there's three-year-olds, sometimes there's two-year-olds, and sometimes they go all the way down to babies. And so when we were offering trainings, it didn't make sense for us to offer it just to our four-year-old teachers. But what it did make sense without any extra cost to us in most cases was to offer it to all of those teachers. And one of the trainings that we did the most with this, and we still do to this day, um, is the pyramid model training. And that training changed who we were. I think it brought us all closer together. We have a, com we have a common language in all of our sites. And even though it may be slightly different of what our expectations are or our rules, the fact is that we have common documents. We have common language. We know our why. We know that at the center of everything we do is our students. And when we sit down at a table, we always know that that's what we're having the conversation around is those students surrounded by their family, which is right, their first educators, and then the people that surround that family. In some cases, that is um, the teachers that are in those private sites all over our communities. In some cases, those are the families that are with the children because they, they're not in one of those sites yet, or they may never be right before they enter kindergarten. And so really intentionally looking at that, making sure we're providing training, making sure that we're there to support them. And in return, what we get is children that are ready for school, right? Like that's the exciting part of it. We get 
data, right? Which is important. We use our data in a way that supports our teachers and it doesn't label students. We don't use our data to say, oh, this child is having an issue, but we use our data to say, wow, this teacher or this site may need some support. And how can we support that teacher and that student and that site to be successful? And that data is powerful. And it's a different, it's a different mindset. It's a way of looking at it through a different lens but at the same time, when teachers get it, it's almost like this, aha, oh, I'm collecting this data to figure out the why. And that's the pyramid model speaking, right? So we're also a pyramid model implementation district, right? A community. And so our whole attendance area for our district is participates in the pyramid model practices zero to five. And we're in that process. We're not all the way through it. It takes time. And as you know, there's lots of new staff and there's turnover. And so that has been one of our challenges, but also keeps it alive. And so I think you always have to take a challenge and say, what does it bring to the positive? And the positive is we always have that language being retaught. Somebody's always adding that little, right? That little flicker of like, I wonder what that meant when Miss, you know, when Jennifer said this. And she, that person asked somebody at their site and they're like, oh yeah, I remember that. Those conversations, right, at the sites and between each other. And one of the big things that we haven't been able to do with COVID recently, but we're hoping to get back to in the very near future is having really a huge community collaboration where, and we did it virtually this past year, but where we bring everybody together and we're able to have everybody in the same area, the same room together from all different sites. So 12 different sites, birth to five teachers, school-age teachers, right? Cooks, custodians, everybody, and being able to talk about why we do what we do and how amazingly important their jobs are. They have a foundational job with our children's lives. And just like families are the first educators, when they go into those childcare sites and they're, if it's a private site or it's an in-home site, the fact is, is that that has a dramatic impact on how that child is going to grow and flourish. And so how we support them makes a difference. Boy, I just appreciate all of that. And I think what's so amazing to me with your story is that we know from a ton of research how important those first few years of life are, but your mission and vision and what you're accomplishing, you're actually engaging in the work and doing the work, right? I've heard you say, Jennifer, that a student's infant teacher is just as important to third grade reading scores as anyone else. Could you uh, share with us your thoughts a little bit more on that statement, which I love? So I tear up every time I talk to that group, right? When I get them all together, I've never not had tears in my eyes talking to them because you look out and there's at 200 plus, right? Teachers in the community that are having such a huge impact on our learners and they're providing the language, right? They're providing those foundational building blocks that help our children be successful in reading and writing and math but also their social emotional skills. And so 
teaching that right at an early age so that they're ready when they come into these big buildings right of k-12 is a job that our data right now says that if they if they're in a program and they've had that they're at a great advantage over someone that has not and it depends building to building right like how um, big of a difference it is in the data. But the facts, right, is that I think there was a time, right, where we said, oh, we take children no matter where they're at. And that's true. We do. We, we definitely do. But we also can't hide that there are skills that children should be learning from the time they're infants all the way through. And so the beauty of my job right now is I can sit on an infant floor and I can exercise with an infant that's not moving their hips the right way, right? And um, and and have that conversation with the teacher and say, hey, these are some great questions to ask the family. And I can also have a conversation with a toddler teacher that the child's not talking yet and saying, wow, here's some questions you can ask their family. And here's the ASQ SE2, and here's the ASQ3, and how about you fill it out, and how about the family fills it out, and let's have a conversation how the child is different or the same in both, in both of those environments. Again, we're using tools, we're asking questions, and we're gaining knowledge, right? And and I'm a big component, right, of being in the child's least restrictive environment. If a child is at a childcare facility and working with their teacher, we want to support that teacher because that teacher is going to be able to do that all day long, every day. And that family is going to be able to then do that when the child is at home with them. The same thing happens, right? If a child is at home, we want to support that family at home so that we're making sure that that family is able to take all that information we have and, and utilize that throughout their day with their child. We also want to give social experiences. So one of the things we do for Verona Area First Five Years is actually offer playgroups and we're back with our playgroups now, which is so exciting. I can't even, I can't even tell you how excited I am to have playgroups back, but playgroups are zero to five, right? We actually extended them to afternoons and nights as well this year because we miss them so much um, in the, pa the past um, year and a half. And it's an opportunity for families, right, to engage with multiple teachers, but also for children to have that interaction and playtime because families need support. And families that are supported, right, are raising really healthy kids. And every family wants to do what's best for their child, always. But sometimes they have questions about what that looks like or sounds like or feels like. And if you're in a place that you have somebody that you trust and you can ask those questions to, right, everybody grows, everybody flourishes. And that's the goal, right, is to provide those safe environments, just like we do for our children, that people can ask questions and feel like nobody's judging them. Nobody is saying you don't have the right answer, but what we're saying is together, we can come up with an answer that's going to work for you. And thanks for sharing all of that. It's just very exciting to talk with you. You mentioned least restrictive environment. 
a lot of my work is focusing on early childhood special ed initiatives or kiddos with IEPs. Can you speak to how Verona supports specifically students and families who um, are kiddos who have IEPs in place at the pre-K level? Yeah, so we have an amazing special education team and they collaborate with our sites. And actually, right before this, I was talking to them and I said, so what's the benefit, right, of us being out there? So all of our teachers in special education for early childhood are itinerant, meaning they're out in our community, they're in the homes, right? They're in, they're everywhere, but in the building, their offices and basically, and they're working with teachers and they're working with families. And in my mind, they're coaches, right? They're coaching, they're modeling, they're demonstrating, they are engaging and they're modeling engagement with children. And they're such an asset to our community. And, but also the relationships you make. So think of a family and what builds a relationship the fastest, but when their child is happy, right? And growing. And so when a teacher is engaged with that child and that family gets to see that interaction and, and gets to know the how and the why, it's just, it's so natural that that relationship happens in a positive way. And so that's just a piece of it. Like I love least restrictive environments. I love making sure that we're really thinking about why, why is this environment the right environment, right? Is, is playgroup the right environment? Is childcare the right environment, right? Where is the child already? And then how do we utilize the environment that the child is already in so that we're supporting that environment, not a made up environment, right? Not an environment that doesn't fit with what the family's plan is. And because the family, right, has a family dynamics to it and they have a why. They do what they do and we need to honor that. And, and every family is different. And so how do we do that? I commend every single one of our special education teachers just because they're so flexible and they have to be I, just amazingly flexible with how they're working with one teacher is different than another. You don't walk in a classroom where they're the same, right? The materials are different in classrooms and they're able to walk into classrooms and collaborate with teachers and do the same thing with families. And they have bags and then they have tools and they're making visuals in the, all of those pieces that only support the child that they're actually, ha that has an IEP but it's also supporting many other children in those classrooms and environments. And so what we find is we have stronger teachers because of it, right? Because our teachers are learning. So even when I was a teacher, when I had speech and language teachers in my classroom, I'd be like, oh, I can teach that sound better. Well, that's happening at 12 different sites, 13 different programs. And then you multiply that by how many people they reach out to and touch. And you're like, now that's a movement, right? And it's all coming right from special education and the amazing resources that they are to us. And they're amazing specialists. And they do a lot of our training because what we found, right? I'm going to get into COVID a little bit here, 
is a few years ago, we found that our children were really struggling with fine motor development. And so we beefed up our universals, right? We're like, we need universally to teach more skills so that children have the muscles they need for their fine motor. And so our specialists did an amazing, amazing job of helping with those trainings and making sure our teachers knew what to do and how to incorporate that in the classroom. And we've seen gains, right? Our, our children are doing great at their fine motor and they're able to write and hold their scissors correctly and hold that pencil. But during COVID, there was a scare, right? Like all these masks and what's that gonna do to the speech and language piece of things? And again, the specialists step up, right? And our speech and language teachers step up and they're like, you know what, we can train on this. We can give examples and resources. And then our teachers ask the question, they're like, how do we get this to families? And then again, those specialists, our speech and language teachers are like, we totally can get this to families. And then you think about Corona area first five years and like in heartwarming, right? That I work with that many awesome people. And that's why, what do I do? I facilitate because I'm surrounded by amazing directors, amazing special education staff, amazing teachers. I have amazing family advisory councils, right? Members and advisory council members that all have part in what this looks like. And that collaboration is what makes it happen. Well, I really appreciate uh, the focus on those universal supports. Again, really looking at this as a multi-tiered system across all those sites. Um, we've talked about a ton of positives. What are some lessons learned that you would share with others if they are looking at really doing this type of systematic work in their community? So I think the most important is that you have a system, right? And every system needs somebody to facilitate or lead it. And so just like when we implement the pyramid model, I'm gonna give that example. One of the main criteria is that you have a leader that is invested in this moving forward. And when you push in, put an initiative in like Verona area first five years, or you're gonna work at a, at a community level on something, there has to be a system in place. There has to be protocols in place and there has to be buy-in. You have to know, right? That people are on board and understand the why you would do that and be able to articulate that to others as well. Because I wouldn't be able to get that data if my directors weren't amazing at saying how the data is used and that the data isn't to label someone. The data is literally to support right? To support everyone in our community. With that said, it takes a ton of time, right? A lot of meetings, a lot of collaboration and collaboration itself, like every meeting, I would say the one thing everybody would say is you go to a meeting with Jennifer Skiba and it should be three hours longer. And she says, nope, the meeting's over now on to next month, right? Because of time. And Time runs out, especially when you're having really good in-depth conversations and problem solving and figuring things out. It seems like the clock, right, keeps going and, and you want it to stop. You're like, oh, just stop so we can get more in. 
And so time becomes an issue, especially because there's a crisis right now, right? So we hear about the bus crisis all the time. Like we don't have enough drivers. The fact is that we don't have enough child care providers, right? We don't have enough teachers to teach our youngest learners right now. And so that's a crisis that we're in. And as a community, we know that our families grow stronger, right? When we support each other, our sites also are stronger when we support each other. And by collaboratively working together, I would say one of the bonuses has been if somebody gets an applicant and they can't utilize that per person, they actually send it onto my other sites, right? And say, hey, I have an applicant that might work for you. That didn't happen lots and lots of years ago before everybody, right, was down that same path of understanding, like we're in this together. So, you know, that's a positive, but again, that took time to build that. It took time to have common language. It took time to make missions and goal statements. And it has to be goal oriented, right? You have to have checks and balances. You know, we use the community BOQ. We use BOQs, which is um, benchmarks of quality at each one of our sites. We have tools to use to measure everything we do. And so we actually have grids that show, right? what tools we use, how we measure that, what kind of measurements, what we do with those measurements. All of that is really important, not only for the families to understand it and for the sites to understand it, right? But for our top administrators to understand why we do what we do and that we always want to be moving forward. Keeping that momentum is hard, right? So that momentum during COVID was hard because you, you're constantly up against challenges and I think you're always up against challenges when you're putting big initiatives together. You go through those slumps where you're like, I don't feel like I'm moving forward. You have to stay on track, right? You have to say, it's okay, right? Even though it's hard and I had to do this when I felt like I was going backwards this year. I'm like, oh, I should have more sites doing this. I should have more people doing this. And I don't, why? Because of COVID. COVID is not an excuse to my brain, but the fact is, that I need to figure out how to go forward, right? How do I get everybody rallied together again? And so having that person there, right? Or that group of people there, leadership is key. You have to support, right? You have to support your coaches in your community, your special education staff in your community, your teachers, your directors, and know how that is happening. And we have to fill their buckets, right? We talk about that with our kids all the time everybody's bucket gets filled differently. Relationships are important and they take time to build. And you have to know like for one person, for one site, it takes this. And for somebody else, it takes something else. And as a facilitator, you have to know what that is. And you have to be willing to step out of your comfort zone to do it. And sometimes that's not easy. And sometimes it's a lot of effort when it's not close to your comfort zone. But thinking about it, right? You have, then you have to have right on your wall, like right behind me, right? Is the why, mm -hmm. the why you're doing it. And you have to like, at every meeting, at every table, you have to have the why there, because if you don't have a focus, if you don't have goals, you don't move forward. 
Boy, again, I appreciate all of the pieces there that you shared with us, the importance of that data. And again, having that real clear vision, really taking the time to sink in and do this hard but high quality work and just those relationships. I just, that that's just wonderful information for us to hear. Um, Jennifer, what would you still like to accomplish? What are you hoping for either when COVID is done or just in general without even thinking about COVID? So I think COVID actually, when I reflect on it, COVID taught us so much that we need to look at it, right? We need to, it brought up the things that weren't working at all and it brought them out really clearly for us and it brought out what does work already. And I think part of the journey, right, that I have to go on and our community is going to go on is how do we figure that out? How do we look at that data and how do we move forward with it in a way that works for our community? I have tons of things, right? We haven't even started our journey. So we have playgroups and we have a new, a monthly newsletter that goes out to our families and we collaborate and offer trainings for our teachers we support our sites. We have, you know, we have MTSS, right, established, but we can always be better, right? Mm -hmm. And yes, we have the universals. We have curriculum. We talk about what the expectations are in the classroom. We talk about what it looks like, sounds like, and feels like. We use the pyramid model, right? Like, is that framework that we're working off of? But everything can be better we can grow at every single step of those. Every single one of those things has growth potential along with the fact that we can offer more. I think right now we do a much better job of offering support to our sites, our childcare sites, and we're struggling to offer support to individual families, right? Mm -hmm. We're having a harder time finding our individual families that are not at our sites currently and how to connect with them. And so that really is one of our biggest goals coming up is how do we do that? And we have some really great ideas on that. You might get another one. And Dizzy, um, we'll circle back to that to hear how, but, how the success but, went. Yeah. But honestly, that, that is our next goal, right? Is we can get better at what we're currently doing but we need to reach more families. We need to support more people um, and young families in our community. And we're gonna figure that out, right? But it's gonna take some time and effort. Well, again, very thoughtful, thank you. What have you found to be supportive in doing this work? What has been very helpful to you um, in getting this systematic work in place in Verona? I really think all the state organizations and I. So I guess here's another plug of being active in the state organizations is they also support you along the way. And so, you know, we started this journey and, and we ran into barriers and, you know, and I went to a conference and, and I was, I heard about the pyramid model and I'm like, wow, like we need, you know, I told the directors and they're like, yes, we need something. And we dug and we, dug into it and we tried to figure it out and right and so like the Wisconsin Alliance for Infant Mental Health has been a huge support for us the pyramid model is foundational in our community and who we are the southern region of practice right is another like all of 
those organizations within our state that support us, CISA too, right? The other CISAs that, you know, we go to meetings and collaborate. The fact that I'm on the strengthening diversity community of practice, all of those pieces that we're involved in, that we have people that are attending, that we're networking with, that we can come back and say, oh, did you know that there's these supports available? Did you know that there's this grant available right now? All that supports your community. Again, it takes time. It takes more effort, but the supports that the community gets in return for that because of the growth the growth that I've had personally being on some of those committees has been exceeded anything that I've had prior, right? And I've done lots of jobs prior to this and that growth has exceeded it just because I've learned so much from others, so much from really getting great reading materials to great podcasts to the networking that happens and learning about other programs and understanding what works for them and what doesn't work for them, and then figuring out what works for my own community. Excellent. Oh, Jennifer, what a good conversation. Those are my questions, but do you have anything else you would like to share or add? I would just say, I have to plug this, okay? Plug it. <laughs> I'm passionate about having community-based programs and supporting our earliest learners and making sure that we're not only supporting those learners, but the staff that really are cuddling them and loving them and teaching them each and every day. And, you know, there's a lot of funding that goes into four-year-olds and there's funding that goes into three-year-olds. But the fact is that our itty bitties are super important and, and their development matters. And so there is lots of data about this and the data says that early intervention is key. I think we need to hear it, right? We need to we we need to hear it, but we also need to act on it. And we know that social emotional development is super important. What are we doing about it, right? How are we encouraging, right, our community that that is so important? Because counting or singing the alphabet is really easy things for families to hear and measure and understand but interactions is much more difficult. And so as educators, we really need to help navigate that and really bring out the importance of all of those bits and pieces that we know so much about. And so I would just say that, right, is every child deserves, right, that champion. And um, that's our theme for this year, which is um, very befitting <laughs> for this year. But they do, and how do we make that happen? And if it's not you, who is it? And I think we always have to ask ourselves that. And that's literally right um, from so many amazing people that I've listened to speak and have surrounded, just I'm surrounded by amazing people. And so when people talk to me, I'm like, I couldn't ask for a better network around me. That's why I can do what I do because one person can't do it, right? It takes everyone working together to make something happen. And I really, that's in my heart of heart, that's a goal that I hope that we can really get to in our state is working together to do what's best for our kids. 
Well, again, that's why I wanted to have this conversation because you're so spot on. We know how important these first five years are. Kids do not just show up at five years of age into our public ed system or 4K system at four. They have been learning and growing somewhere that whole time. And I just, again, really applaud your effort to support the important work of all of the teachers that that child has their families, and I appreciate what you're doing very much. Again, it's actually taking the research and what we know is right and putting it into action. So thank you. Yes. And you're one of my supporters, right? Like you're one of my network people. So I just, I, I really can't say enough, right? Like about the people around us, about the people that are in those organizations at a state level um, are just amazing, amazing people. We have true leaders in the state of Wisconsin in early childhood care and education. And I also am grateful to hang out with many of them. I agree that networking and that support, that collaboration, cooperation is is key. Right. No reason to reinvent something, right? When we can collaborate and work together. So, I mean, that's a takeaway too, right? Is Mm -hmm. if you're thinking about doing this and you're thinking about making that collaboration in your community, don't start from scratch, right? People are already doing it. Ask the questions, contact people, right? I'm always free to contact. And many communities have contacted me and I learn just as much from them as they learn from me. Thank you. We really appreciate having Karen and Jennifer on the podcast for such an engaging conversation about early childhood and the great work that's going on in Verona. The development of children in their early years is incredibly important. So we wanna make sure that the students and their families have everything they need to learn at school and at home. It's heartwarming to hear about what Verona has accomplished so far, but there's always more work to be done. That's right. As I mentioned in the podcast, COVID has caused a lot of turmoil in the field of education, including early childhood. With the first five years program, they're helping the community's children in a wide variety of ages. So if some children didn't get the attention they needed in the past year or so, this is a chance for them to catch up. Great job to Jennifer at Verona School District, and we hope that the First Five program continues to grow and gets the funding it needs. Thank you for listening to this episode of Building Educator Capacity. To be the first to know when the next episode lands, subscribe on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Check out our previous episodes and resources on csitu.org podcast. And of course, special thanks to Ms. Liz Elliott, band teacher from Whitewater Middle School, for providing music on this podcast. We'll see you next time.